One, two. In the Middle East, the men often sit on one side and the ladies on the other. And we think how odd that is. In the UK, people sit at the back and leave the front. And the Middle Eastern church think how odd that is. I can't remember the last time I was here, Phil, but really it was. And just to see the signs of life um, among you guys uh, is great. I need to get one slide out the way if anybody wants to follow any of the issues raised this morning. This is my blog, graceformuslims.org, and uh, it comments on just about anything going off. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, Let there be light. Yes? The first creation. And the Apostle John, as a Jew, takes that and writes John chapter 1, in the beginning. Hello? In the beginning was the Word. Genesis 1, and God said. Hello? We need to get this right. Have you matched the two yet? In the beginning, God said. He, if I quote the Apostle Paul, he spoke the worlds into being. Colossians. By the word of God, the heavens were made. Who is the word? John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the Word for all the Muslims. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God and said, Let there be light. As we say in our family, it's good, isn't it? And in verse 14 of John, chapter 1, the Word became flesh and made his home among us. We've seen his glory, 
the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. How has he made him known? The answer's in verse 14. The, you tell me. The Word became flesh. What does God look like? There are many answers to that, but one answer is like Him. Like Jesus. I'm starting off uh, this morning with this, uh, <clears throat> we go the right way. It's always been about communication. It's always been about relationship. It's the story of the Bible. God searching for humankind. That's the plot of the book. God has been searching for us since the Garden of Eden. For what? Relationship. Communication. To be near us. And so the incarnation... God becoming a man, the Word becoming flesh, was inevitable from Genesis chapter 1. Are you with that? <laughs> One bishop of the Anglican church says, John says the Word became flesh but we're in danger of turning that flesh back into word. <coughs> Hello? And there's a revolution. We're 500 years after the Reformation. There's another Reformation quietly happening. Did you notice the lady on the left? She said, I shared, I learned I could share in Friendship First, I learned I could share my life and the gospel, she said. What's the Reformation? The Reformation is God merges the two. It's the same thing. So the Apostle Paul says, you are letters, you are love letters from God to your community. He is incarnated in you when you began to follow him. He's replicating what he did in John 1 in your life. 
the Word becoming flesh with a Yorkshire accent. Hallelujah! Now I'm on the right side of the Pennine. It's not just the Muslims, it's everyone. They're waiting for the gospel in you. There are so many evangelicals that are cold, calculated, callous, OCD. It's all about being right. I've got to win the argument. That's not what it says. He became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He became knowable. He became relational. And how does the Apostle John describe him? He was full of grace and truth. Those two are not enemies. It's a polarity. It means you hold both. Both need each other in right relationship. And my, I've spent the last 25 years of my life helping Christians to stop having an attitude that stinks. I said to one leading name that you would all know, <laughs> no names, no pack drill, of a public Christian leader who was basically teaching the, the Great Commission excludes Muslims. And I said to him privately, how dare you come between the Lord Jesus and his church and modify the Great Commission because you're scared spitless of Muslims? How dare you? And you're doing it in the name of biblical truth. You Pharisee. It's all right, I'll warm up by the middle of the message and start speaking <laughs> my mind. There are so many evangelicals, and I say to them, they say, okay, Steve, you're the one who tells us how to reach Muslims. And I say, can I ask you something? Please don't talk to a Muslim until God has done something in your life. Because at the moment, you are bad news. It's written all over you. How is your attitude, in any way, shape, or form, Christ-like? This is, Sunbridge Rose always does this to me, Phil. It's just, I feel I can speak to you. And I'm one of the ones in this country who coined the expression, ordinary Muslims. Ordinary Muslims. Not the type that put backpacks on and do stupid things. Demonic things. Ordinary Muslims. His home among us, says the Apostle. Verse 14, second part. The Great Commission is relational, not propagandist. 
Do you want to put this one on? That's fine. Okay, one, two. Okay, you get that? The gospel is relational, not propagandist. It's not mere propaganda. Get the truth across. We have to get the truth across, but it has to be with grace. Cold truth turns everybody off. Critical truth turns anybody off. And the Lord Jesus, uh, it says in Acts 1.8, you will be witnesses to me. Aha. Uh -huh. Not say, not just say witnessing things. Was it Os Guinness says, poor old talkative evangelical Christianity. Got to say it and say it right. When what they're looking for is what the lady on that uh, clip said. I share my life and the gospel. And the truth is, God's strategy is those two merge in you. See how much he trusts you. Isn't that incredible? And says, there's one of my kids. A Muslim said to me one time, what did he say? Anyway, he said something that showed he was watching my life before he would listen to my lip. He basically was saying, Steve, you are coming up with the spiritual goods that my religion is supposed to produce in me. And you're doing it by following Jesus. And what ticks me off is that you are enjoying it, whereas my experience is a drudgery of trying to be a good Muslim. Matthew 28, 19, he says, go and make disciples among all nations. If that is not, it, discipleship sounds such a metallic, impersonal thing. It means the sharing of lives. It's the whole life incarnation transferred from one believer to another. Here's how to follow Jesus. It's so relational. And Mark 1615, many evangelicals come back to me and say, ah, oh, but Mark says, go into all the world and preach. <laughs> That's a word that we feel safe with, isn't it? Well, excuse me. <laughs> In the Greek, the force is, go into all the world and gossip. Something we're very good at, aren't we? Go into all the world and gossip the good news. Not stand on a soapbox. Share it in the way. So yes, speak. But no to formality and uh, <sighs> finger waving. <laughs> Jesus is in closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. Um, so we as evangelicals have this kind of word and works tension, don't we? They, they've not had the gospel unless we've said something. Well, true, 
But part of the good news is what's going on in you. The fact that when you have a problem, you pray about it, that you sleep at night, there's a peace in your life. Something bad happens, you have an anchor. See what I'm saying? That's part of the good news, excuse me. That's not saying you're taking over holy writ, God forbid, but I'm saying gospel means good news, that's all. Yeah? So part of that good news, a huge part, is what Jesus has done by his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. But it completes when that is incarnated in you. How about that? You get it now. It's not just cerebral. Now, I, uh, you can see she's a, a right terrorist. Um, this was in the Mall. I was down, I, part of my work's at Westminster. I was down and went to look the day before Will and Kate got married. Uh, chaos it was. Look what I found. <laughs> Flying the flag. But the marks of an evangelical, um, the service from uh, on Radio 4 this morning, if anybody hears that, came from St. Andrews in Scotland. Um, and at St. Andrews University is a guy called David Bebbington. And he's come up with an answer. He did research right across the evangelical uh, community. And he came up with research about what are the marks of being an evangelical. And therefore, an evangelical is biblicist, all spiritual truth, is found in its pages. An evangelical is crucicentrist. Isn't it lovely? It sounds dead posh. Crucicentrist, the focus on the atoning work of Jesus, the cross, that's the cruci. Number three, an evangelical is conversionist. In other words, people need to convert and they make effort to help them. Notice that wording. <laughs> so many Muslims have said to me, Steve, are, are you, do you want to convert me? <laughs> I say, no. <laughs> you, you, your problem's bigger than me wanting to convert you. I don't want to, but he who is to be feared wants to convert you. <laughs> God, by his spirit, is after you, the hound of heaven. But oh, I'm clean. <laughs> I don't want to convert you. I want you to follow Jesus with me. And only God by his spirit will show you how. So conversionism or conversion is into it. And then lastly, evangelicalism as a tradition is activist. Have you noticed? The gospel is expressed in action. And this is where um, some of the evangelical world have been fighting for about 50 years. It's um, settled down now. Um, what is the balance between word and work? And if you go back through uh, British history, from Wilberforce to Florence Nightingale, you name it, name after name after name after name that you talk about in school were evangelical Christians who put their faith into action in this country and founded all sorts of things, including the Labour Party. Thought you'd like that one. So, 
we need to do what the Apostle John asks us in 1 John 2.6. We need to walk as Jesus walked. Do the stuff. Be like him as best we can and with his grace. So his strap line was the Son of Man came to seek, and that means doing something, works, and to save, that means saying something, <laughs> that which was lost. So that's our kind of mandate. It's interesting. Um, and Jesus was clear about one thing that many British Christians are not. <laughs> Here we go. Number one, that the gospel is for the regions beyond geographically. Yeah? So, as a church, always have a vision greater than the task in hand. You get that? So I'll say it again. Always have a vision greater than the task in hand. Example, Hope House. That's in Jerusalem. Have you got one in Judea? Have you got one in Samaria? Have you got one internationally? <laughs> Let me wave something at you at that point. I brought some freebies for you because Ramadan has happened this year and this is a special booklet to help us pray through Ramadan every day, 30 days, for Muslims worldwide. Did you know the graph has gone up like that over the last 30 years since people are doing this, millions of Christians around the world are now praying every Ramadan and the conversion rate is going up markedly. Muslims are changing allegiance to Jesus Christ today more than at any time in church history. So if you want something to be depressed about, try that. <laughs> and these are free to you so that you could, whoops, you could order for next year and they cost a couple of quid, all full color, beautifully produced. Now, there's one 15 days for Hindus, and we've just finished that. Diwali? Yeah, the highlight of the year. And so now, the network worldwide is starting to pray for the Hindus. Cool. Okay. Free to you. Just take one, just to see what's going on. By the way, some people use these all year round. They finish, and then they go back to day one again and just keep praying for that people. Lovely information to tell you what to say and how to pray. Now, where did that come from? No idea. What are we talking about? Yes, the Lord Jesus. Are you doing okay? Okay, anyone bored? Just pass out, it's fine. Um, the gospel is for the regions beyond geographically, but also, the Lord Jesus models, the gospel is for the nations Racially. And as one Anglican bishop said, it is not a piece of Anglo-Saxon privacy. <laughs> Something to be kept from the immigrants at all costs. You've got to be British. This is the Church of England, you know. Hmm? It is not a piece of Anglo-Saxon privacy. And by the way, I'm the 
first gen second generation of an economic migrant father. It's part of our story. Very quickly, the biggest immigrant community at the time of Jesus, do you know who they were? The Samaritans. The Samaritans were the Pakistanis of Israel 2,000 years ago. And people demonized them and resented them. They were seen as being less patriotic and I'd rather trust the Romans than them. And so they were a threat to national security. They made them a scapegoat for any national problems, unemployment or whatever. They became a settled community over several hundred years by the time Jesus was born. The Jews feared that they would be, that they were planning to outbirth Jews and take over. Any of this sound familiar? It was feared that they were planning politically to take over. It was feared that they were adulterating the Jewish heritage. They were suspected, uh, sorry, in many respects, their religion was a hybrid of Old Testament faith because it had Jewish bits. The Samaritans had Jewish bits in their religion. Islam has Jewish and some Christian bits. The parallel is stunning. And yet Jesus didn't even, well, the Jews wouldn't even go near them, <laughs> Samaritans, you know. Don't go near them. If they, come, if they cross the road, you cross the road. Talk about apartheid. Let alone speak to, to, to a Samaritan or shake their hand or do business with them. They treat them like it was the bubonic plague and put any money into disinfectant. This was the attitude. But Jesus never attacked a Samaritan verbally or physically. He only challenged the Jewish religious bigots who had forgotten how to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God from Micah, the uh, prophet Micah. And Jesus' position was, you guys, Jewish people, should know better. And secondly, Jesus had a default mechanism that biased him to the immigrants. He made sure of the, the conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. You read it. He went out of his way to be there at that time. <laughs> the parable of the Good Samaritan. The hero is the immigrant. Casualty did it in the first series and it caused uproar. What? How can the immigrant be the one who is the hero? <laughs> well, he was. And many of them are. 
Jesus was so identified with Samaritans, with immigrants, that he, he was accused of secretly being a Samaritan. Don't look at me, John 4:48. Weren't we right when we said, you are a Samaritan? We always thought there was something funny about your father. These are the facts. I might pass them in a humorous way. These are the facts. Jesus had a bias to immigrants. And so we go on until the Great Commission actually says, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, locally, Judea, regionally, and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth globally. Notice that? Some of you are looking a bit depressed. Because your cover is being blown. God is not calling us to be a faithful, authentic witness to a Briton of 50 years ago. but to a world on the move now in his sovereign purposes. Acts chapter 16, it's him who has purposed where men and women should live. He's done this so that people would reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Muslims are coming to Christ in this country all the time. I sat two days ago in our Hope House, it's called St. John's House in Birmingham, um, and in the, uh, we broke bread because we have a little chapel. We broke bread, and who was sitting there but an Egyptian with his hat, with his beard, a Muslim. And I thought, flippin' heck. <laughs> I speak Arabic so I could de deal with, with him, but his English was very good. And then, as the, it went on, he prayed. And then he, he took communion. And by the way, his prayer showed that he's a believer in formation. So I said to the manager of the house afterwards, what on earth was going on there? And he said, yeah, we've got a woman that comes on another day from Pakistan and she's doing the same. I don't know why I'm telling you that. They were the stepping stones with the Samaritans. So, Friendship first. It was born on our kitchen table in response to 9-11. And it tries to hold together the polarity between faithfulness to the gospel and integrity in relationship. So friendship first is not saying, I want to be your friend so that you will follow Jesus. That lacks integrity. 
That's an agenda. Yes? But Friendship First is saying, I want you to follow Jesus. This is the starting point. I would like Ahmed to follow Jesus because I am his friend. But even if he doesn't follow Jesus, I will still be his friend. That is friendship evangelism. Are you with me? And we, the, the market, as it were, excuse the expression, lacked a resource for British Christians to actually sort this out in their head so that they could feel more comfortable in actually getting into gospel territory with a Muslim and not feel that they were being colonial or racist or any of the other things that our politically correct climate tells us, and it's shutting the mouths of Christians. And Theresa May, who, who will not go to Chequers because she insists on, on being at her local Anglican church. Hello? Did you not know this? Pray for the woman. You don't have to be conservative, but pray for the woman. And I know, I've met them all, and I know the two previous... Pray for her. And she has spoken up to say that Christians should have a voice in a multicultural society. Who are we to silence Christians when we're leaning over backwards in political correctness to every other faith? Do you get the injustice of that? So this is part of the battle. That's my day job. Um, so Friendship First helps British Christians to serve our Samaritans with the gospel. <laughs> it's translated into about seven languages and used all over the world now. Um, and in it, um, oh, I'll go back to that. In it, we have six key lessons. Look at this for the whole pack. Number one, what is Islam and who are Muslim people? And we find that many Muslims are secular. And Christians say to me, what? How can you be a Muslim and secular? It's easy. It's like being British and Church of England. 70% of us. Oh, I'm Church of England, thank you. Close the door. Well, are you? And what does that mean? You observe Shrove Tuesday and give up chocolate in Lent. Does, does that make you a Christian? Nominalism, friends. Many Muslims are not religious. It's in the background. So we have to take this on board. Number two, Muslim values and culture. How they think and why. Actually, some of the ways they think are better than Anglo-Saxon thinking. Says he who's traveled in 120 nations of the world, and I'm not wired like an Anglo Saxon. I'm sorry, I try. <laughs> I just sound like one on the phone. 
But the Lord knows, I'm from a West Indian background, by the way, but the Lord knows how he'll use your life because he, he selects people and slots them in to be strategically impactful. And that's what he's done with me. They think differently, and some of it is enriching, culturally enriching. Your Muslim friend, number three, their felt need and how to relate. How do you convey the gospel to Muslims, number four? And why is the gospel such good news to them? It's because in their head, they're closer to Jews and they are in a DIY mindset, performance-based religion of rules, the Sharia, Sharia law. And so Galatians, um, Hebrews, uh, and Romans speak to them so powerfully because that's where they're from, particularly Galatians. Fantastic. And then ways to witness, what to say and how to say it, but when to say it. <laughs> and then number six, next steps. After the course, what then? Um, so I'm starting on seminars around the country called After I've Shared the Gospel, What Next? <laughs> and discipleship isn't just share the gospel, oh, that's that one done, let's find another Muslim. Hello. <laughs> What kind of discipleship making is that? That's propagandist. Ah. So it's how to walk with them and to put flesh on the gospel and to be part of their journey to Christ. That's the difference. And that's what we need. Now, the last one it is a visit to a local mosque. Now, some people, uh, some Christians are you know, a bit uh, concerned about that. Um, some Christians think that if you read the Quran, you might get demon-possessed, um, things like that. Um, they really do. Um, and they need somebody to model it. It's as if, you know, this will burn me if I pick this up. And so it takes a Christian to say, well, I've got one, and I've read it all cover to cover, and uh, I don't think I'm demon-possessed yet, you know. Um, and it's okay. It's a religious book. And actually, the overlap with the Old Testament is significant. I would say it's probably 25-30%. That's another story for a seminar. Um, and so going to a mosque, a place of worship, is that a, a, a demonic place? Can I say something to you? Um, if you want to go to somewhere that is infected spiritistically, you're not looking at a mosque, you're looking at other places of worship. Islam is spiritually much cleaner because its roots are Abrahamic and it cares about purity of faith and practice um, partly in a way that Martin Luther would be proud of and then partly in a way that would make Martin Luther turn in his grave because the thing they lack is salvation or acceptance with God by faith. It's by works. Okay? And so brownie points have to come into it. But their practice is not 
spiritistic. That's not to say there are sometimes needs for deliverance ministry, and I've been involved in that, but I've also been involved in that with Christians. A friend of mine, an Asian who works in the non-Muslim community, um, is, has a ministry in exorcism and dealing with spirit presence in houses. And he is far busier than anyone I know working with Muslims. Does that help you? I think you're thinking about that, aren't you? It's a Romania. When I started out 40 years ago, um, I used my looks <laughs> um, because I'm thought to be local everywhere from Portugal to India. And I used to go and sit in the back of mosques in Morocco. I used to wear their clothes. They just thought I was Moroccan. And I would take um, the Bible in Arabic. And the sense in their mosques, and in many mosques I've been to all over the world, not all of them, but many of them, it's like sitting in an old... Saxon church with a sense of devotion has gone on here. Okay? Come and talk to me afterwards. I think I've lost some of you with that. So I would sit in the cool when the weather's 40 degrees outside, drink some water and sit at the back on the floor. And I, I was terribly forgetful. I used to leave my John's Gospel, or my Mark's Gospel, or my Luke's Gospel, or my tracts. Used to, I've lost so many in mosques. I've left them at the back. And it's a, it's a terrible thing. I was praying the Lord would, you know, but he never did. He made me even more forgetful. Um, so these are the issues we're dealing with. It's 12 o'clock. And I want to commend Friendship First to you. Many, um, the, the supporters are across, across the piece, if you get the pack of uh, organizations um, that support us, um, support Friendship First and key churches. And um, one minister of a large uh, resourceful church said to me, well, for the first time, here's something that's fairly idiot-proof. <laughs> I said I couldn't possibly comment, but uh, anyway. So, by the way, a new manual is available uh, for a tenor, and I've left a whole load of... I said I'd go back, didn't I? Whoops, that's not right. Um... I've left a whole load of these slips on the table outside. Do take one and you can order the latest version of everything. The Friendship Trio is nearly born and it starts with uh, Friendship First in the green, which is helping ordinary Christians, helping ordinary Muslims to know and access the gospel. Then we have joining the family same livery, different color. This is churches, small groups in churches helping 
new believers from a Muslim heritage, Muslim family heritage, helping those new believers to make sense and how to fit into fellowship. Hmm? And then the third one, which will be available hopefully by the end of the year or early next year, is Come Follow Me. And that one is a discipling tool, one-on-one, -on -one for a Christian to work with and go through steadily with somebody who is from a Muslim heritage. So we get, get them to Christ, get them into fellowship, nurture them. How about that? And it's all available now. It hasn't been anywhere in the world. And in the UK, we've pioneered that. So we're pleased about that. Going to close. Um, and thanks again, Phil, for having me. Um, I, I want to confess this morning, it rarely happens to me. This morning, I woke up and um, I thought, do you know what I feel like doing today? I feel like going to Sunbridge Road Mission. And some churches, I think, oh my Lord, I've got to go, to the, I've got to go there, have I? But the two, and I thought, hey, I am going to Sunbridge Road today. It's okay, my wife's been married to me for 25 years and she knows what you're now thinking is true. Okay. Here's the bottom line of this morning's message. All peoples are within the scope of the Great Commission of Christ. All peoples. Travelers, homeless, substance abusers, people with mental health issues. All peoples. Number two, all all need to be approached in the spirit of the great command of Christ to love. Notice it, the commission of Christ, the great command of Christ. Number three, all deserve an invitation to Christ rather than to institutional Christianity. One of the biggest turnoffs for Muslims and secular Anglo-Saxons is not the gospel, it's institutional church. One of the things we're working on as a mission agency is a reformation in church structures and program to match the day we're living in. And lastly, all need the true meaning of the gospel, not a version embellished by our own culture. Here's a question, homework. How much of what you do in church is linked, firstly, to British culture before biblical patterns? I'll leave it with you. God bless. Thank you. Well, thank you. Plenty to think about there. Um, perhaps a good a challenge to bring to you is uh, not to forget about this how about in your quiet time tomorrow to think through what's been said and pray about it how it impacts you how can, how it can change you what, what what things God's spoken to you about today so we'll finish there I think and uh, thanks for
joining us. Don't forget to put your name down if you want to be part of that, this Friendship First course. We have a student lunch as well for students, and you're welcome to that and stay for that. We'll be uh, uh, probably 10 minutes before that will be ready, so have a cup of tea and coffee in the lounge. So let, let me just pray, and then we'll finish. Our Father God, we thank you for all that we've heard today. We thank you, Lord, for this time, for being able to meet together like this. Thank you for worshipping you as the Lord God, our, our God, the, the God who reigns and the God who wants to communicate and has communicated to us the gospel. Lord, help us to be willing <clears throat> to live out the gospel as well as to share the gospel in word. Help us, Lord, to take these things away and uh, not to forget about them and to hear what you have to say and to put into, Lord, practice those things where we need to change, especially, we pray. So, Lord, part us with that blessing of Christ, we pray, and help us to live for you and to worship you in our daily lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.